This episode is sponsored by Kendo UI. Kendo UI allows you to build better apps faster. They have a comprehensive library ranging from data grids and charts to buttons and sliders. Plus, you can use their components as plain JavaScript as well as in Angular, React, and Vue. They have a large collection of customizable popular themes like Bootstrap and Material. Go check them out at reactroundup.com slash kendoui. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another React Roundup. This week on our panel, we have Lucas Heisch. Hello from New York. Justin Bennett. Howdy from Tennessee. Now, since you're guest hosting, do you want to just give a quick introduction? Uh, yeah. So uh, my name is Justin Bennett, and I work for Artsy currently. Um, I'm a senior engineer on their team. I uh, do uh, a lot of React stuff. Uh, my particular interests currently are in um, design systems, optimizing for performance, helping build a responsive strategy for Artsy. So uh, I kind of jump around a lot, but yeah, happy to be here. Nice. We also have a special guest this week, and that's Gant Laborde. Gant, do you want to say hi? Hey, hey, from New Orleans. Do you want to give an introduction? Who you are, what you do? Sure. No, I just started programming last week, so you must have a <laughs> Uh, no, I've been programming for 20 years. Really excited. I've written a book. I've been an adjunct professor. I love teaching. I love the mad science aspect of all of this stuff. And I love going around to conferences and talking to people about it. So it pretty much lands me here. Nice. Yeah. And I've heard you on React Native Radio, which is another show on this podcast network. And uh, we actually met once because you were hanging out with Nader Dabbit the same time I was. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was at React Rally 2016, I think. Yeah, uh, yeah I love got a sticker, React Rally. Got a sticker of you on a unicorn or something. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. If you've ever met me, I have uh, my own uh, sticker branding. I have a friend of mine in Japan. She's a fantastic artist, and what she does is she draws like different anime style character not anime but it's, it's like chibi style she draws all these characters and so uh, i just like started putting them on stickers and they're they're sort of my business card now <laughs> i know awesome. i love it all right well we we brought you on to talk about the react state museum and looking at this i was like this is this is cool do you want to just give a brief history of where yeah. it came from and what it is yeah so Everybody uh, jumped into React, and React sort of is this beautiful way of visually diffing and passing these functional encapsulations around and, and managing them. And uh, at some point, once you start creating an, another component and another component and another component and another component, inevitably, the question always comes along, how do you actually manage all of these components? Am I supposed to pass you know, the state of the parent down into the props, to the props, to the props, to the props. And there's been a lot, <laughs> a lot of churn right there. And like, how do you manage the state inside of React? And it's a blessing and a curse, right? Because we're all so happy to be uh, on the cutting edge. But I swear, state management systems show up and die uh, so fast. So what we had from um, Facebook came out with Flux. I think there's exactly two people who understood Flux. And one <laughs> of them's on vacation. So we don't know uh, where they are now. And what happens is, um, I think Redux is probably the one that finally showed up. And everybody said, okay, I understand what's going on here. I believe in the core concepts. You're basically taking these things from Elm, which was really kind of buzzing at the time anyway. And, uh, and, and this functional concept, which us as JavaScript developers have been trying to hug for so long, well, possibly because JavaScript was just so bad at classes for a while. But <laughs> we've been trying to grab these functional concepts. And then and, and here they all were bundled up in a way that you can't fail. In Redux, it gave us like time travel. It gave us neat stuff. And uh, a lot of us adopted that. And to this day, like when I'm teaching some people about React or React Native, they'll say, oh, yeah, well, I know we should be using Redux. And 
more and more, I see large companies kicking Redux right in the teeth, right? They are just like, we've used Redux and it is terrible. And, um, you know, if anybody's like me or like, like a lot of the consultants I know, and, and, you know, so we have a huge, we have a great team at Infinite Red where we have tried to adopt and then choose one state management system. It's not easy. It's it's so difficult. Like I, I, I honestly, I'd love to know what what everybody's using and what their history is. That's the sort of like you know, instead of hey, what's your name? Where are you from? I'm I'm at conferences saying hey, what do you use for state management? <laughs> and uh, our adventure has gone through Redux to a little bit of playing around with MobX, but getting getting upset because MobX didn't really have the graph didn't have that same sort of tree that we could rehydrate. And then finally, we're kind of sitting around MobX state tree and we're, and we're looking at GraphQL a lot as well. But you kind of got to do some research and uh, it's not fair. So, so that sort of gave birth to the whole idea. Like, let's just write the same simple app 10 times and see what all these differences are. And the stuff that came out of it was, I loved it. And people are still contributing to it. So I think other people love it as well. Now, I, I just want to say, you know, something you said earlier, mm-hmm. uh, I think we need to change the topic because you said <laughs> that JavaScript used to be bad at classes. Yeah. And I, I would agree. contend that it is still bad at classes. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I, let, let us just go like um, relatively no longer batter classes with ES6, uh, you know, just the dot prototype madness that we really kind of had to understand is, is got a sugar coating now that allows me to at least explain it to people who understand object-oriented programming. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I mean, TypeScript gets us close-ish. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Gets us close-ish. And then it compiles and it all goes to hell. Anyway, <laughs> um, so, um, but, but yeah, so I love the idea. This reminds me a little bit of to do MVC a little, you know, with mm-hmm. some of the stuff that they did kind of showing mm-hmm. off the different frameworks and the way that you can use them. I do have to say though, that I talked to a number of people who were framework, either creators, maintainers, or in one way or another, very, very on board with a particular framework. And it seemed mm. like nobody was super happy with it to do MVC setup. <laughs> was in there. So I'm curious, do you ever get feedback on that saying, you know what, um, you have an example of this particular state management uh, library and mm. nobody who knows it would ever do it the way you did it. Right. No, actually, the pull requests I've gotten are people who are better at each of those things than me. Mm-hmm. So what's really funny is... Uh, to make sure it's super clean. Because actually, I wanted to test the lines of code that are required to actually do these. But that's that's a little unfair at the end of the day because there's a lot of things you have to do. Uh, like MobX lines of code is super, super, super small. Mm-hmm. But you have to get decorators set up. So I think it's kind of like it's it's not really... Just like we've known for so many years, lines of code does not equal effort. <laughs> I relearned it here. Ability or clarity. Right. Yeah. The things you care about, right? So I do not actually show... I, I was actually going to put it in a chart and say, this one's this many lines of code. Uh, guess which one's Redux? Like, it's the one with the number and the 16 million. But, <laughs> but <laughs> it, it really was... Like, it was, a, it was a plan. But what happens is people... The... Components that are used in this example have been brought off into their own node module. And the idea is the only thing that's tying these together is the uh, state management system. And I've actually had people show up and say, oh, well, you know, you could do this a little bit cleaner, a little bit nicer. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's, I love that pull request. I, I'm okay getting schooled on on one of the many <laughs> Yes, this is a this is an interesting subject because it's always uh, really interesting when you try like let me assess any technology and let me implement something with that technology, but it's not fair to the technology itself if you're not an expert, 
Mm-hmm. So sometimes you're comparing like one technology that you are an expert with another one that you are not. Mm-hmm. And usually the ones that you are more familiar with wins in your mind because <laughs> only because you were more familiar with it. So it's yeah. interesting that you're doing like this in an open source way because people who are more familiar with the other, they can like play a, f- mm-hmm. a more fair game. And then you actually see, oh, now I understand. So yeah. it's just, yeah, it's just, it happens with any technology, right? Yeah. And, and the other thing I want to say is that I'm a huge fan of this versus that blogs. I actually have quite a few where mm-hmm. I'm, I'm very okay saying this one wins and this one loses. And this is why I think that in, in this particular thing, I actually don't declare a winner because it's more of a Rosetta Stone. I think that what's great is I want to highlight the things I had to learn, maybe some of the pitfalls I had to you know, find. And then at the same time, I, I, I kind of respect them for their different perspectives on it. Uh, at the end of the day, yes, I do have opinions on these, but uh, I don't actually ever declare a winner because what I've learned from this is they're all the same and they're all extremely different. Uh, (laughs) At the core, we're doing the same damn thing. Mm -hmm. And what comes out to is what's important for your project? Do you need to manage types? If so, then a ton of these suck. If you don't, if you want TypeScript to manage types and you don't want it here, well, then you want uh, you want something else. You want simple. Are you just trying to teach somebody in one day? Like, I don't know how long it took you to learn Redux, but I learned Redux and I understood Redux on two different days. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, that's great. Yeah, so have you been able to okay. elevate some of those learnings? Uh, so like this library would be good for if you're using TypeScript, or this would be good if you need to manage your own internal types, or this is easy to learn, or, you know, whatever the criteria may be. Yeah, absolutely. I love for for teaching, like uh, just giving people a good start. Uh, Obviously, the first way I did it is I just set state all the way down, like set state and live life, you know, like I didn't, you know, and I think that that's, that had to be written, even though it's ridiculous and nobody really kind of chooses that, I guess. So I had to show what that's like. Then the React 16 context, which people are believing is the second coming of, of like, this will save us all and it'll kill Redux and it'll do all these other things. You know, it's important to understand and see where the benefits are there and where they stop. And what's funny is then there's a library called Unstated, which I really like to be a, a simple... Like if you've learned set state and now you just want some other container to manage that state and then you still want to call set state, it's the most React-like library possible. So I feel like you could pick up unstated without even thinking about it. It's it's actually a clever name. Uh, I think (laughs) uh, Jamie Kyle did a great job with saying, why are we changing it here? You know, Um, and so there... I think I wrote up a good bit of this on a blog post when I did my first 10 uh, libraries. We're now, I think, well over 20 libraries. Yeah. <laughs> and I can't keep up. Uh, so I did I did take some of that information out. But again, th- that was the opinionated piece. Inside the open source repository is where you can make your choice. And you can f- take these different flavors and say, what does it look like when it goes to this language or that? You know, one thing that I'm looking at and a lot of the conversations we're having feel a lot like the conversations we were having a few years ago when we were talking about frameworks and which framework to use. And, you know, so, for, for example, you know, for a while, everybody was using Redux. And it was because it was more or less the only thing out there that did what we wanted it to do. And at the same time, you know, it's kind of like, you know, when Backbone came out, it was sort of the only thing that did what Backbone did, and it cleaned up a ton of code, and so everybody loved it. And now, you know, now we've got all this other stuff coming out, and we're figuring out, okay, what aspects of what Redux does do we like? And then we get something like MobX. And then what aspects of this, you know, and so MobX is the angular, I guess, of, you know, and so we kind of get our kick, or uh, what was it? Uh, knockout. 
of, of, you know, of state management. And then we get into some other thing. And, and it's really interesting. I wonder if we're going to settle out the way that we have sort of on, you know, two or three of these as kind of the big players, you know, some more incumbent than others, you know, within the next year or two. I, I think we're really going to see some interesting things come around on this. And I think the other thing we're going to see come around on a lot of these is how we write JavaScript with, you know, if WebAssembly ever really takes off or if some of these other technologies come in, it's going to be, okay, now do I write React with this or do I write it with one of the other JavaScript dialects that compile down? And how does that affect all of this? But yeah, it's it's really interesting just from the standpoint of, yeah, we had all these conversations and, oh, it does it kind of like this other one. And that, but we haven't settled on the absolute best way to do this yet either. I, uh, Charles, I believe this is is a really interesting issue. And I think it comes also from a realization of the community as a whole that front end is complicated. And for a while, people thought it was not. (laughs) No, just use jQuery. (laughs) Yes, it's like so we were all like doing our templates one hour and working with our databases for 10 hours. And then it's like, oh, it's super simple. Just uh, do some HTML stuff. And now we're really seeing like UI programming is really complicated. It needs to be reactive. It needs to like hold a bunch of state. It's not like a simple function. There's no like moment to finish the process or just, it's just like something that is happening and responding to multiple events it's a really hard problem. So I think that uh, we are like, and most of us also uh, did not think about those things before. We, we, a bunch of us have like background in design and stuff. We did not think about those things before. So I think that what's happening now is that people are realizing, oh, okay, this is really tough. <laughs> it's a really complicated problem. This thing can get fancy. So that's why this, I, I think the solutions are like popping up like crazy. People are like trying to find the, the correct solutions that adapt both UI problems and the web itself. Can I ask a question on this? Because I feel like there are a few things that go into this. Is this because our requirements on the front end have changed or because front end development fundamentally has changed? And I'd love to hear everyone's opinions on this <laughs> because I think... I think what we're talking about here with all of these state management systems is a symptom of what Lucas is talking about. Yeah, so my quick question is, uh, it's both. So now we can do some stuff in the browsers that we could not. And also, uh, so like things change just because of the nature of it. Now we have much more client-side power than, than we had before. And now I think that because of this power, we are making specs more fancy. So before we had like Wikipedia was the model of the internet of like 30 years ago, pages with links, pages with links. I would add one jQuery to do like a hover animation on a button. <laughs> I, do, mm-hmm. I did not. And now we have like 100,000 lines of JavaScript applications because like specs are are much uh, more complex today than they were before. So this is my... This is my opinion there. Yeah, I'll, I'll go next. I think that plus one on that for sure. And uh, two, two other things I'd say that's happened. One, um, websites have gotten bigger. Like there's sort of needs to be a fracturing of what's going on between client and backend. We've always been pushing CSS to be more programmatic with SaaS and such. And then JavaScript's like, uh, or Facebook says, we have JavaScript, let's namespace here because Facebook blue was a CSS color we identified on this campus. And then somebody over here named a same class, uh, Facebook blue. And then depending on how it gets compiled is which blue will finally come out. And uh, it's sort of like we're, we're seeing this disconnect because it got so big that now we have front end development that has to worry about being offline. So we have to worry about what does your state look like? What does your validation look like when somebody has, you know, a PWA or they, they have their app ready mm-hmm. and, and, and they need to be able to, is it, op, you can't be ignorant of optimistic and pessimistic updates anymore because you can't demand 
uh, high bandwidth sitting at a computer anymore. We're on so many devices, we're on so many things. So now since the world grew, the solution space has grown uh, equally. Yeah, I uh, just to echo everything all of you said, it's definitely, well, as the industry grows, as we get kind of a, a more mature idea of like what we want to build, how we want to build it, um, I think the expectations are tighter now. So we more expect that when we design something and it's closer to that design, that we have like less drift, that, you know, we're we're more cognizant of like those issues of like, having multiple or referring to like a Facebook blue, like in multiple ways, or, you know, even worse, uh, having multiple iterations of those people are more cognizant of like, what is our brand? Are we being consistent? And that, that just that little piece of building a consistent brand is incredibly, incredibly difficult. Um, and, you know, that's where like React as a technology really excels as, you know, this shift in mindset. Well, we're going to think about these things as like composable, reusable pieces um, that can help provide our brand consistency. And I guess the other thing is really is that we're expecting more out of our technology. We want, yeah, we want offline support. We want great performance, but we want this really rich interactions. Um, and, you know, we kind of keep pushing that envelope and like, yeah, let's do a little bit more. Let's do a little bit more. Um, what about these features? And while I, I, I kind of see like there's a trend in the industry where we want to be a little bit visually simpler but a lot more feature rich. So as we kind of keep pushing those boundaries, we have to approach our technology in a way is how can we build more faster with less complexity while we're building it? And that kind of requires a lot more complexity under the hood from our tools. You got to put that complexity somewhere. Mm -hmm. So it is interesting to watch. So given all that, then I guess my next question is, how do we use this React State Museum where we can actually go look at the code and look at the way people think about the problems with the code and be forward thinking as far as we see where we've come from and how we've gotten where we are, where are we going next and how does this get us there? Yeah, I, I think that where we're going next is, of course, it's a loaded question because everybody wishes they knew that and everybody <laughs> thinks they also know it. But I True. think really great is being able to identify new and interesting concepts. So if you were just kind of a set state or you, you had your, maybe you had some terrible version and then Redux comes along and you really, you have to know why Redux is good for your company or bad. And I think mm -hmm. Redux is fantastic for some companies. Uh, I like to joke that it's the billable hour developer's friend. <laughs> nice. <laughs> it's uh it'll definitely but you you won't feel like you've lost control. You won't see bugs that are crazy. There's probably already a middleware that's already taken a look at exactly what it is that that you're going to deal with. And and maybe for your company and for the group of people that you have, going into Redux is going to make something very manageable. We had one client who needed to do API on REST, needed to handle web sockets, and then also needed to handle a, a second RESTful server somewhere else. And they needed all three of those things to come together and play nicely. And we used Redux with Sagas, and it was phenomenal. Now, every time we needed to add a feature, it was like, begin unrolling the, the machine, right? Like we kept getting mm -hmm. into it. But you were able to work with each dial, each knob, and completely turn on or off anything that you needed to. And that was fantastic. Could that have been written simpler, cleaner, and smaller in MobX? Oh, yeah, absolutely. But covered in magic. And if there's a bug, you find yourself, you know, reaching out to like Michelle Vestrada and being like, hey, inventor, <laughs> come explain this to me or like going through the code yourself. And uh, I think that's great. Good. Now, I think uh, we, we use MobX State Tree a lot more now because we kind of get the benefit of both of those things. 
we get uh, Mob X plus we get the speed of Mob X with the uh, sort of integrity of Redux, and it's a lot faster for us. We found a way to tie it in with TypeScript a little bit more because we really care about types. And so that works for us. But I think that what you need to do is you need to take a look at what it is, what your company is going to be. There's some really interesting ideas by a lot of really smart people. And then there's some people who wanted to write their own state management system over the weekend. And that's just it. Like, <laughs> I don't think they ever touched the code ever again. Uh, <laughs> so you have to, uh, to kind of look in it for a bit. And so I'd say first, knowing what it is you want and your company wants then go to the, the museum and find something that fits it. Deploy more, pay less with DigitalOcean, the simplest all-in-one cloud computing platform for developers. Scale and run cloud applications faster and more efficiently with effortless administration tools to robust compute, flexible configurations, networking services, real-time alerts, and rapid provisioning while enjoying industry-leading price-to-performance with a flat pricing structure across all global data center regions at any usage volume. Spend more time building better web apps and less time worrying about managing infrastructure with DigitalOcean. Build your next app on DigitalOcean. Get started with a free $100 credit at do.co slash roundup. Yeah, yeah, I think under, understanding your problem is, is definitely the hardest part of this whole thing. Uh, so I went to the uh, O'Reilly Software Architecture Conference earlier this year, and um, it, it was really interesting. The, the theme behind that conference is that software architecture for the longest time was kind of, we had this notion that software architecture is about making decisions that are hard to change and that we kind of pivot our strategy around that. It's like, let's put a lot of time and energy in like making these decisions um, so that when we make them, they're like good decisions going forward that we can look ahead and make sure that these are not apply. But like the current state of the industry is like acknowledging that, you know, we can't really do that. We, we know what we need today, but we really don't know what we're going to need. And kind of the only constant in software development is that things are going to change. You can be guaranteed that things will change. So they have this principle of evolutionary architecture, which is kind of building or kind of designing your software to evolve. Uh, so really focusing on what is your current needs, what fits those really well, and kind of designing so that when you need to iterate, when you need to change, when you need to pick something new, that you're kind of in a good position to be able to do that. So that's definitely the way that I approach things now, for sure, is look at, in the lens of my current problem, what are my needs? Let me not look forward too much because you can miss that mark by thinking, oh, I'm going to need this and then not need it and then end up carrying a lot of extra weight. Do you and, you know, anybody really, uh, do you have recommendations then for looking at your problem set and then making a call as far as some of these offerings? Yes. Uh, so I... I like this this quote. It's like we we've gone from infinite planning to like no planning at all. So I think this is a, a problem with the waterfall to agile uh, mindset. I think that we went too much uh, to the other side of the pendulum. Today I always like to plan a little bit. I don't need to plan for two months. Like I don't think that works. But at least like two hours, <laughs> we already like do a lot for you like so if it's a big thing like if you plan for two days it's it's still like uh, it's it can save you two weeks or even two months in the near future so at least uh, devoting some time to go into a whiteboard with another person just throwing the ideas there i think it already makes like miracles for you to understand what your problem is and then look at the museum just to try to understand which tools you know, you pointed out something that drives me crazy with the way people do Agile because they take it as an excuse to not do any planning. And that's not what Agile is. Agile is I'm going to postpone making decisions until I have to make them or until I have enough information to make them, you know, for on that particular point. So then you make the decision. Then you sit down and you do some planning. Okay, what do we think is going to come? You know, we have to make this decision now. We don't have perfect information, but we put it off and we've gained more information because we're down the road a little bit on the project. And then you sit down and you do a little bit of planning. And then you try and make sure that if you have to react and change part of the plan later, that you haven't boxed yourself in. 
That's true. Really yeah, I, I don't want diversion on the on yeah. the subject. No, it's a pet peeve for me, so I have to say it. <laughs> but yeah, let, let's but, stay on topic. You're right. But, but my my last comment on that is exactly that. I worked on a on a project. I started on a project. It was like three months already, and we need to, to do like a big change for a requirement that we knew we had two month three months ago. And I asked the devs like, why why didn't we take that into consideration? And they answered like, agile. And I was like, <laughs> agile is preparing like for a future you don't know, like for the features you don't know you need, but like some requirements you know you have <laughs> from day one. So like plan a little bit. Yeah, and that's fair, especially on a decision like this. I mean, mm. spend a little bit of time you can figure out, you know, we're probably going to need state management on the front end, or maybe it's, this is really simple and we're not going to need anything that complicated. Yeah. I think that's a good thing. It, it, you don't protection from over-engineering at the same time, right? Because mm -hmm. you might actually just be able to get away with using the new React context. Maybe it did save you, and it's everything you needed. And then later on, if if you find out it wasn't, guess what? Now you end you add a dependency, right? Yeah. And so it's it's it was a lot cheaper that way, rather than choosing the wrong dependency too early. Yep, yeah, absolutely. But but what are some of the knobs on this, you know, where it's going to be mm -hmm. like, you know what, I turn this knob over here and Redux is looking really good. Or I turn this other knob over here and, you know, maybe I just use the the built-in thingy in React. I forget what it's called. Yeah. Uh, context. Yeah. You, you know, I'll, I'll say that um, there's, there's a lot of attractive knobs, too. And so that kind of messes with it a bit because Apollo GraphQL, I have an example in there with using AppSync, using not using AppSync, like uh, all kinds of really key, neat ways. I think Apollo is starting to swallow a bit of the space here. And that's something that nobody really kind of kind of saw coming when you are when you were originally planning this issue because of the way it solves the problem. And so if you can sort of plan to go in that direction and you see uh, a giant forming, maybe that's that's perfect for you. But then also one of the other interesting knobs is um, definitely finite state machines. So we have, uh, there's the React Automata example, which doesn't actually 100% replace the state management at all. It actually kind of sits on the side and says, we're going to manage whatever other system you have. So we're, we're playing, but we ask a totally different question. We're, we're not even thinking of it the way every other state management system's thinking of it. We're asking you to list every possible state that you could be in. And we're going to help you move between those. And that's like a, it's like, I didn't even think that way because I looked at 16 other things that asked the same questions. And so like when you get to some of the knobs, like one of them's not even a knob. It's like, a, it's an entire, like, <laughs> it's just a, it's a new machine. <laughs> mm -hmm. And uh, I love the idea of, something showing up and asking you a question you would have not thought to ask yourself. And is this something other things should be doing? Should we be bringing this in? And, and sort of uh, when you have a myriad of examples, it can help you out. It's like having a bunch of user acceptance tests and then helping you kind of figure out the app. It, it, having a bunch of different ways to manage state gives you a new way to look at how you should be managing it yourself. Yeah, so when I'm approaching this problem, when I'm spinning up a new project, there's a few things that I always try to look at. So, I mean, the first simple question you can ask yourself is how much state are you going to be using on the front end? Is is your app really interactive? Um, are you just relying on like a lot of backend interactions? Um, is it like a real-time application? You know, there's a lot of a lot of different things uh, to think about there. But that's your first important question is how much state do I need on the front end? And it's really easy to shove things into the front end when they don't need to be there um, <laughs> and vice versa. It's really easy to say, ah, I don't want this to be on the front end when you actually need it there. Because uh, sometimes maybe it's just hard. So figuring that out is important. I, my next criteria is how easy is this going to be to test? Can I write tests around this? Uh, that's like vitally important. And I think the third thing that I look at is can I teach somebody how to do this? Because if I can't teach somebody how to do it, then it's not going to do my team any good. So like 
those are just three of the knobs, but those are the things that I think about first before making any decision on a state management library. I would add uh, looking at the ecosystem to like uh, this is this is one thing that I think that Redux is a champion. It's like so many tools to help you. So like only that dev tool in itself like saved I think hours if you think about like in the buggy moment. So yeah, if you are using also a library that you cannot like you cannot see that the ecosystem is is blooming it's it's also like put, puts some risk on your project too right yeah and 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 definitely looking at tests i agree that's actually one of the things i discovered here is i mean i don't know if anybody's ever written tests for redux sagas but it feels like watching like a movie backwards it's it's <laughs> insane my brain pops every time i do it and then you have on the other side of that, like uh, Mikhail uh, Bertoli did did the React Automata, and and I have that sort of, and that thing writes its own tests, showing you what it looks like, taking snapshots of what it looks like in each state. So just like you can do story shots tests if you're a good uh, if you really love storybook, you can do state tests automatically with just saying, give me all the permutations of the possible of my state with React Automata. So now you have automatic tests popping out in one library versus another, which if you've not seen talking about that, David Piano talked about it in React Finland, and then Michele or Bertoli, I'm ruining his name, he's Italian. Uh, (laughs) he, He talked about it at React Amsterdam. And those are two fantastic videos talking about just interesting ways to that tests can kind of come out for free if you use a certain state management system. Yeah, it's a great point. Also, with the finite state machine example you're you're making, I like that maybe choosing different ways of manager state makes you think differently about the problem itself. So it can unveil like certain aspects of it. So sometimes we're only choosing between like which library to implement the same thing. So they they have the same requirements, but they're just like different implementations. And when you deal with like GraphQL or finite state machines, then you are looking at the problem like differently. Then you are it's not the same problem in the in the more lower level it's not the same problem that they are solving. They are like just looking differently at this at, at the problem, right? Yeah, if you've got a great backend team, let's say they can gr- create an amazing GraphQL Elixir server and maybe like the best thing is you've offloaded your headache <laughs> to the backend team <laughs> mm-hmm. and now you're just using Apollo GraphQL to deal with your day. That might be, that. that's a totally different set up because you have a strong team to move that work over across a line that's that's strangely enough you, you normally don't get to cross with that kind of thing yep i think it's funny you bring up an elixir backend because it i swear it comes up like every other week doing something with absinthe on elixir <laughs> on the elixir podcast that we have so i mean that there are so many options too and yeah i i see apollo really getting reach here but I don't really think of it as a state management tool. I think of it as a, a an API endpoint management library thingy that has some state <laughs> management stuff in it, you know. And then I would think that I would connect it to something else like Redux or something. Yeah, they seem to be really pushing that envelope a lot. So with um, what was it, Apollo Link State, where you can actually yeah. have like local client only state, but it still kind of fits weirdly in the in the GraphQL world. It seems like they're really trying to kind of reach into that and be kind of the only solution that you need or one of the only solutions. Um, It is interesting to watch. Well, and I like it for something really like I have a number of things that I've kind of fiddled with where I've got a really simple data set. And so it's like, yeah, I don't need to reach for something else. But when it gets more complicated, I'm not sure that they're there yet. And I don't know if I want them to go there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, fair enough. It, it's difficult to just say, oh, I'm going <laughs> I'm gonna go ahead and use this tool to manage everything. I don't have to worry about it anymore, mm-hmm. right? Because 
you're the person who's accountable if you find that corner case. <laughs> then what do you do? Yeah. So I have a question for folks. Do you think that React kind of not having a blessed ecosystem really kind of holds community back in some ways? So I'm thinking in my head, like, imagine how like in the view ecosystem, for example, they have like a blessed kind of state management solution if you need mm-hmm. them. They have like UX. a blessed router if you need that. Now, yeah. you have the freedom and flexibility to use whatever you want, but they're like, if you're getting started, if you just need to build a web application quickly, here's the tools that you can use and, and grow into. But what do y'all think? Do you think it would be better if like the Facebook team was saying, hey, here's a, a good solid base. You can grow into this. But if not, here's all these other options. Would that be better or worse for the community? I'll take that one specific first, if you don't mind. I find that I don't like being told, and I don't think that they're right all the time when they say, this is what you're supposed to be using. We're seeing so much churn and we are getting cut by being on the bleeding edge, but we're getting the bleeding edge here because there's the ability to say, I'm not a system that's that's guaranteed. I am a person with an idea. And that's sort of like where Redux came from because if we were blessed, we'd all be using Flux and we'd all be very upset. <laughs> and then instead... <laughs> Uh, then there'd be three people that understand it. <laughs> It'd be three. <laughs> <laughs> and what happens is if you take a look at like Flutter for building native apps with Google, I kind of, I don't have faith in Google right now. They've always, I, I loved Google Wave, right? You know, fool me once, you know, shame, shame on me, right? Or shame Google on you. Google Reader. Yes, everything. I'm on a, yes, Google Reader. <laughs> Don't get me started. Google Video. Ah, I lost so many videos in that. They were like, oh, we can't give you these. Uh, there was a transition period, but there was problems. Anyways, so, so Google comes out and they say, like, this is blessed. This is what you use. You have no choice. And then the other side of it is like the vast world of node modules. Right? Good mm-hmm. luck. But it's any author for themselves. And I think that what happens here is that... It's a little bit silly. I would like more of a beacon from Facebook, a, a bright sort of friendly guide saying, here's what's out there and here's what's going on. They seem to not be able to focus on that in their open source because they're focusing on, you know, obviously running a large company. But I really would like to keep it open with some friendly energy, but not really blessing anything. I. I don't know. I have mixed feelings here because I mean, the ultimately the power that people have in saying this is the blessed sanctioned, you know, whatever system is that it is only it only plays in in so far as people follow it. Right. And I think in the area of a react community, there are so many voices and they all have a slightly different opinion on what you should use that you can go in, you can spend an hour, you can get a whole bunch of opinions with the arguments behind them, and you can make a choice. The, the, the one thing I do like about a blessed ecosystem or a blessed stack or something like that, or a recommended stack anyway, is that if somebody comes in and they're brand new and they don't know where to start, it's, it's as good a place to start as any. And then as they get into it and they say, you know what, Flux is really kind of hard then they can go look and see what other options they have. And as long as there's kind of a wink and a nod and, hey, look, there's other stuff out here, but here, you know, here's what we're using. I think that's a good balance to that. It's kind of the, the Angular way, right? Yeah, very much. Angular like has, you can go like out of the box for a long time before needing to choose anything. That's true, but I mean, Angular is much more opinionated and has a lot more stuff built into it than React on its own does. And so it's it's kind of a different feel. Vue kind of splits the difference because they also have a bunch of stuff that's built by the Vue team and very easily and cleanly integrates with Vue, but it's not required and it's not, you know, pulled in. So it's not as strongly opinionated. And then React is... Here's React. Here's another thing you can bolt onto it. And 
anyway, it's it's just kind of a different approach. Yeah, that's a good point. View is is doing a good job. I mean, I mean, obviously, passing up in stars says a lot. There's a lot more of a community drum to march to. Their README is superior to React by far. Mm-hmm. Their sort of ability to command and work in open source beats the the sort of uh, communication that we get from Facebook. Even though Facebook's working really hard at that, they have employees doing that. And this is sort of like goes back, if anybody's read the book Drive, right? For, for the Facebook employees, this is their job. For view maintainers in a large way, this is their passion. Mm-hmm. And you can smell and sense the difference between those. So I, I like that you use the word recommended over blessed. And I feel like that's that's a good way to say it. that's what's missing. We need more recommendations that are guaranteed to be supported by large company backings. Mm-hmm. That you say that you're not going to get fired one day because you chose something that sounded really cool, and then that con- the the contributors to that just fell apart. And now either you maintain the library or you're screwed. Yeah. Well, we've covered a lot of ground. Well, I want to go back to React State Museum here for a minute because we've kind of talked around the ideas here, but we haven't talked about the actual uh, Git repo and how you expect people to actually use this. So if somebody goes to the Git repo, and we'll put a link in the show notes, or you can just Google React State Museum. It's really easy to find. You know, your readme kind of has a table here as far as, far as uh, you know, the technology and you got links to stuff. I mean, how do you envision people coming to this and and picking it up? Yeah, it's a bit of... I couldn't put a lot about each version. So the table that comes in there is uh, links to the main repo. Let them sell you Mm -hmm. on why theirs is great. And then let me get you in that code as soon as possible. So I wanted... uh, By the way, at the top, that logo... That was um, an open source contributor showed up, said, hey, you want a logo? And I said, yeah, I want a logo. <laughs> nice. And, and that's all he did. Like he just, he's like, here you go. You, one, two, or three. I was like, three. And that became the logo for it, <laughs> which nice. was really, really cool. A lot of people have shown up and contributed. Like I said, the original project was to do 10 of the most popular state management systems that I knew of. And now it's it's just so many. But I want people to show up. First of all, Take a breath once they see how many options there are out there and then not hate their life, right? And then you have the option to look at it in React with a sandbox link or the code. Uh, The sandbox link is, of course, fantastic because you click it and you're instantly in the code. You can play with it. You can change it. You can mess it up. You can do all kinds of fun things and really get get your hands dirty in that particular code set. And then also have it over in React Native, which is the next one, because there are little differences. Some of them, the people who maintain their libraries when they did the pull request found out by trying to do a pull request here that their code doesn't work on React Native. So (laughs) they had to, like, they came back like a month later and they're like, I got it working on React Native and then did another pull request, which was really cool. So it's it's like the little tidbits. Sometimes there's tricks they have to do, and sometimes they had to go back and find out that they, they need to update things. There's lots of room for contributors, not only in in the ability to add new state management systems, but dear God, why? But <laughs> but um, I could use some more people who like give me more links in the like con- moving React over to React Native ideas, typos, documentation, anything friendly to help everyone understand what the differences are between these things is accepted here. And I think that what's great is you can see if it's supported quickly, and then you can pull up in two different tabs, what the code looks like in one that you know, and what the code looks like in something that you're interested in, and see, uh, you know, almost do your own kind of uh, diffing at that point between the two. Very cool. I love that. Yeah, some of these library authors came in and were like, what? It doesn't work in React Native? And then, <laughs> yeah, but, you know, you're, you're driving that so that it's... Because, yeah, if I'm building a, a mobile app, if I can do the same thing on both platforms, that's much easier on me. And so you're, you're making the ecosystem better. 
Yeah, it, it's so it's so nice to to have that confidence as well because there's no guarantee if tomorrow you chose Constate or something like that, right? If you were like, oh well, if we later on do a mobile app, do we know that that's going to translate over, right? And if it does, is there any kind of weirdness? Actually, in a few of them, there was a little bit of weirdness, and there's some changes there that need to you need to add things or kind of um, polyfill things that were uh, because of a dependency that really expected a DOM to exist, you know? And and that kind of gives you, okay, now I know that if we did go with this, uh, I'd be okay in both. And truth be told, the real trick of it is, I have a, a little <laughs> a little joke inside the uh, item there. It says, ye honest truth here, inside the readme. If you click on it, and it's a little comic I made for this, which was basically after doing all this, I found out they're all the, the same. <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> it's like, hey, I have a bunch of globals I need to manage in a way. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and I need to manage in a way that's smart. And that that's ultimately what all these libraries are doing. Anything else we should dive into, folks, before we get Uh, I was looking through the issues and I I saw an issue uh, mentioning NPM library size. I I think that there could be some uh, other like things that you can bubble up, like high level things that might be good. Definitely bundle size is is a valuable thing to know. Granted, that doesn't always tell the whole story, especially if you're not using that library in isolation. So like if you're using Redux and you're using you know, 10 millwares and, you know, some, you know, whatever, like there's a, there's a larger story there, but those sorts of things would be, would be good. Like, does it, does it have types? Is it, you know, how big is it? You know, I, I don't know, some other sorts of like information to kind of funnel people down. It's like, Oh yeah, I'm looking for like this sort of thing. Like, at least so, funny story with this uh, is like, I would love some help on that. I actually had uh, some contributors come in and help, and they helped me write the tests because once this thing started growing, <laughs> I, I run a uh, yarn test on here, and four hours later, I come back and <laughs> it tells me if it passed or not. Wow. It's like training a machine learning model on this thing because it has to go into each directory and it has to see if it works on iOS, Android, React. And if the whole thing like actually comes together. And so it is an insane testing library that goes into each of these. Then there's some checks to make sure that like uh, if somebody does a contribution, that they actually have a link to it in the readme. A little bit of gotchas here and there. So some automation, if somebody is looking to do some really cool stuff, like maybe using cost of modules on each of these in a way that seems useful and friendly. And then maybe... Like you said, yeah, it, it doesn't take into account if you're using Redux plus other stuff, of course, because Mavic State Tree basically comes with side effect management and Redux doesn't. So is that uh, apples to oranges comparisons there? But what's really cool is I'd love to have those things bubbled up, you know, and, and identify them for everybody. I feel like there's an easy script between here and there. But also, like I said, I also had the bad idea of writing a script that would tell us how many lines of code each one was and the difference between what's the lines of code for Cessator or another. And that one was a bad idea. So I think it'd be great to have to have some outside feedback on those. We, we definitely have some really cool people who are contributing and their ideas, but more the merrier on data that would be useful. And if it's useful to a few people and it gets a few thumbs up, then I, sanity check complete. Let's do it. Cool, cool. If people want to contribute to this, do they just send a pull request or submit an issue or what's the best way to do that? Oh yeah. Just hop on in and um, file a ticket saying I'm taking this. Uh, That way nobody else takes it because I have had that happen (laughs) where people uh, have worked towards the same thing at the same time. But it's actually really nice if you say you're taking it and then you do it in a reasonable amount of time, it's yours. And you could say, all right, I'm adding this example or I'm doing this or I'm doing that then everybody knows uh, stay away from it. We're coming up to Hacktoberfest. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but if you do some open source contributions, I think you need to do like 10 of them and you get a free shirt from DigitalOcean. And funny enough, I love being uh, a participant in Hacktoberfest. So when they open that up, 
I'm going to add the Hacktober t uh, Fest flags on on contribution ideas, and you can come in here and probably get a majority of what you need in order to get a free shirt. Good deal. All right. Well, there's nothing else. Let's go ahead and do some picks. Is your job search stuck? Maybe you're not getting any interviews with employers, or maybe you are, but no job offers. Or you may be new and not even know where to start. This is Charles Maxwood, and I'm releasing a new course and ebook on how to find a job as a software developer. The course walks you through the process of finding the types of companies you want to work for, getting their attention, and putting your best foot forward as the candidate they want. I've coached dozens of developers in looking for jobs and have been able to help several people find jobs within two weeks to two months. So whether you're new to development, can't find a great job that fits what you want, or are looking for remote work from an area without a strong tech community, I can help. Go to getacoderjob.com and sign up today. All right, uh, Lucas, you want to do some picks for us? So my pick for, for this week is a book I bought two days ago, and it's like blowing my mind away every two pages. It's, so, it's called A Philosophy of Software Design by, I don't know how to pronounce the name. I'll try. John Alsterhout. Alsterhout. Yes. So it's a, great, uh, it's a great book about mainly about complexity, and how to define the problem of complexity in software today and some ways to tackle it. So it's, it's, been, it's been great. I recommend to everyone. Awesome. Justin, do you have some picks for us? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I've got three picks. Um, one is a finite state machine library that I stumbled upon earlier. So it's called XState. It's not React specific, but it is a, a finite state machine. And it also has a visualizer that you can plug in the state machine to, which is pretty interesting. And the second is there's a fantasy series that I've been reading called uh, Spellmonger. It's by uh, Terry Mancor, and it's a great read. Uh, there's 10 books in the series so far, and they're pretty fascinating. So if you're a, a fantasy fan, especially if you like magic, that's a, that's a great uh, a great book series. And the last one is a book called Building Evolutionary Architectures. Um, it's by some of the folks at ThoughtWorks, like uh, Neil Ford and uh, Rebecca Parsons. It's uh, a wonderful read on how to design architecture to be able to change. Um, and it's got some novel ideas, like picking out uh, architectural characteristics of your system and then writing tests for those characteristics. It's it's a really short book, but it's it's really powerful. I recommend it. Good deal. Put the links in the chat and we'll get them to our uh, show notes, folks. But again, do you have some picks for us? Yeah, but unfortunately, now I want to talk about Justin's picks for a bit. First off, I'm, <laughs> in a, I'm a huge fan of books about magic. I read uh, Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality, which, oh, such a good, such a, that's a great read. And I'm a huge fan of magicians. I just got some short stories on magic. So now I'm going to read Spellmonger. Thanks a lot, Justin. <laughs> so that's what I'm doing now for my life. Also, I want to say, yeah, X State's amazing. That if you want to get excited about it, watch David Piano's talk on it. It's so good. And then actually in React Automata, which is built on X State, I used David's visualizer. So you can see the whole thing. I, I ran it through there and you can get the visualization. I think it's in the README for that particular one. So that's a lot of fun too. Very, very cool subjects. All right, enough about Justin. Uh, <laughs> uh, two things. I have two picks. One, I just finished the culture code. I know. What year is it? Why does this guy take so long to read? I, I enjoyed it a lot, especially if you work remote. Definitely read the culture code. It doesn't translate directly into how to handle remote, but it helps you identify the pains that are caused by remote work. And I think that that's like really key to see the pains that can happen in person that are getting amplified by remote work. So it helps you identify how you personally need to come up with ways to combat that. Fantastic book. And then the second thing is, I don't think this podcast will be out till after I've done my talk in Poland. So I'm going to spoil it here. If, if this is before React Native uh, Europe, then... Don't tell anybody that you heard this, but I have been working on a secret project for my talk in Poland, and it is super awesome to me. I'm combining React Native with machine learning uh, using the library written by the genius Ray Deck. He's awesome. And 
he's he's kind of helped me get some stuff started. And using React Native Vision, I'm going to sort of do like a Where's Waldo with the audience. And uh, so I'm going to go to Poland. I'm going to lose the Declaration of Independence, which, of course, they allow us to bring everywhere, you know, as, as an American citizen. Mm-hmm. And then um, I'm going to have a friend in the audience wearing a Nicolas Cage mask and then using machine learning. And we're going to do face detection. And then I'm going to find Nicolas Cage in the audience. And in his back pocket is going to be the Declaration of Independence. So please, please watch that talk when it comes out. You can check out. uh, I'll update it. But for now, I have DeclarationOfIndependenceThief.com, which is a fake government website, which will be where I actually get the machine learning model from during the talk. Nice. Uh, I guess I didn't do any picks. Let me throw some picks out here real quick. So I I hate getting, well, I don't hate getting personal on the show, but I've I've been going through stuff. Um, I have mentioned it on some of the shows. I don't remember if I mentioned it on this show, though there were a few weeks where I didn't appear on any of the shows because I basically took June off just because things were rough. Anyway, uh, part of the the kind of the journey that I've been on with a lot of this stuff, and really it's just been a hard year. I mean, I could point to a couple of specific things that happened, but it's not. And I guess the biggest one being my dad passing in April. But even then, I mean, you know, the, the rest of it, I, I, I can't explain it. And even when I get sad now, it's not like I'm thinking about my dad and how, how life sucks. I'm just sad. And, and that happens. And I think for one being willing to talk about this stuff and willing to think through it and, you know, kind of process this, you know, even though some of it really kind of sucks to process and go through, I I think it's a healthy thing. And so just taking some downtime is important. But uh, anyway, so the last couple of days, I've read a couple of books that have really kind of helped me work through some of this stuff. And it's funny because they're not like, here's how you deal with you know, sadness or grief or whatever. They're, they're more general life lessons and ideas. The first one is The Traveler's Gift by Andy Andrews. And basically, um, the main character, he's going through, uh, he, he loses his job and he's kind of, you know, at, at the bottom of his emotional reserve, let's say. And anyway, he winds up having these experiences where he goes and meets a bunch of historical figures. And so he basically time travels and, you know, they're all at kind of pivotal places in history or, um, you know, rather famous points in, in those people's lives. And anyway, I really, really enjoyed the book and a lot of those principles, especially a couple where it, it more or less said, you know what, anyway, it, it very, it very explicitly gives you life lessons. The first one is the buck stops here and, You know, just even when you're exhausted and even when you don't feel it, you know, you you still have to keep going. And I think I think that was something that I needed to hear where I was at. I know that's not always the best advice, depending on where you're at. But for me, that was what I needed to hear. And then the other book is The Shack. And that's by William Paul Young. Um, It was made into a movie. If you went and saw the movie, it had Tim McGraw in it. And I can't remember the, the name of the actor. That's the main character. But I've been a country music fan for a long time so whenever i see tim mcgraw in a movie i'm like sweet but anyway so yeah it was a, it was a great movie and i listened to the book and the book kind of goes a little bit deeper than the movie mainly because it can because you get internal dialogue and they tend not to put that in the movies too much but uh again it was just kind of part of the healing process and going okay you know what am i going through and why am i going through this and why do i feel so alone and it just kind of points out that no matter how alone you feel, God is there. And I know that not everybody who listens to these shows, you know, shares my religious point of view. But for me, it was just, it, it kind of recentered my, my worldview on something that I, you know, believe strongly in and, and gave me a, a more of a sense of purpose and less of a sense of being alone. So anyway, if you're, if you're kind of going through stuff, you know, those are two books that I'll check out. I, I recommend you check out. If you're trying to be a better person or, you know, you want some life lessons that you can live by that will make your life just better in general, then I can't recommend highly enough The Traveler's Gift. And then if you if you want something that kind of drives home some of the central themes of Christian theology for you, and I know that some people want it, some people won't, 
but uh, then then the shack is is really terrific. And uh, anyway, that that's kind of where I came down on some of that stuff. So yeah, I kind of went uh, the personal and a little bit deep, but that's kind of where I've been at these days. So anyway, I just bought the traveler's gift, so I'll be giving you a personal review on it. Good, so good, so good. <laughs> All right, well, Gant, if people want to find you online, generally, where where do they find your thoughts or musings or whatever yeah so i have gantlabor.com uh the benefit of having such a strange and weirdo name which only serves you once people know you. uh so gantlabor.com uh that'll tell you where i'm speaking next if you see me at a conference please come talk to me if you want to follow me on twitter i i have tons of stuff i write about on medium please feel free to reach out and chat I am all about nerdy science, crazy stuff, books. I love interacting with people. And because I work remote, I need to do that as much as possible. So take full advantage of it. Let's chat. Yeah, I was going to say talking to people is the best part of the conference. So he's not joking, folks. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, let's go ahead and wrap this up. And we will catch everybody next week. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more. <laughs>